Welcome to the Lorecast, where we look into the lore and the stories by which we live. I'm Dr. Craig Chalkwist, and you can find us at chalkwist.com slash podcast and at a number of other online venues. When I look at videos in TikTok now, I notice that more and more of them are being put up by Christian theologians, pastors, uh, what have you, people involved in Christianity who have a good conscience and a sense of inclusivity, and they're posting videos to counter biblical misinformation. Um, The Bible cherry-picked to attack uh, gay and trans people, to get women back at home and out of the workforce, um, to attack women's bodies, you name it, it's all up there. And, um, you know, this is at a time when... um, Religious wars are either ongoing or breaking out. I'm thinking of the terrible tragedy in Gaza right now as I record this. And yes, there are geopolitical reasons for all that happening, but um, in many of these wars, one side is one religion and one is the other. The same old story, right? So it's really no surprise that record numbers of people, both in the U.S., uh, where I live, and also around the world, are saying, I don't want to have anything to do with religion anymore. I don't live in the 12th century. I live in the 21st. I don't believe in lying to people about what's in the Bible. Uh, I can make up my own mind about that. And the very idea of a single truth for everybody that everyone must squeeze into is abhorrent. So I don't want to do any of it. That's what more and more people say. And um, who can blame them, really? I have a couple of Christian friends, um, one of whom is a theologian, who are increasingly embarrassed to identify as Christian because of the way Christianity is being misused. Yet again, this has been going on for almost two millennia now, which is why I'm always a tad skeptical when people say I'm staying Catholic or I'm staying Protestant or whatever, because I'm working from the inside to reform everything. Um... After 2,000 years, it doesn't look encouraging for reform, to be honest. Uh, Appreciate your efforts to do that, but who knows how it'll turn out. And uh, don't want to discourage efforts in that direction either. We need more of them rather than less. I've often said that the missionaries of Christianity need to start in their own religion first and leave everybody else alone. Um, In any case, uh, Pew Research polls, they keep doing... Uh, studies on this. The the numbers are dropping in terms of church membership. They've been dropping for decades. They'll continue to drop, and um, especially when the Generation X data comes in, which it hasn't yet as of the end of 2023. Gallup polls reflect the same tendencies, so a lot of people are just saying enough. So one reason this is up for me is because I'm actually studying in a doctoral program of philosophy and religion. (laughs) And another reason is I have what I think of as a rich spiritual life. Um, I tend to be one of those spiritual but not religious people. Uh, The numbers of them are growing rather than receding. And the question that's up for me, and this comes from research on my dissertation, is first of all, can we do without religion? Um, That's part of it. And the second question that I'll spend more time on is, would it be possible to use different stories if it turns out that we do need religion after all? And um, 
I don't mean replacing the Bible or anything else with other stories. I mean considering all stories as fictional, but not in a reductive sense. So I'll come back to that one. So can we do without religion? No, I don't know. Um, there are people who, do, who actually are living without it. Uh, most of them seem to be happy. You have to ask individuals. But something that Carl Jung noticed is that the psyche, and it's often talked about as the human mind, but that, that can be a little flat. By psyche, depth psychologists mean conscious and unconscious taken together. Your whole self. And so Jung noticed that the psyche spontaneously creates what he called religious symbols. I would call them spiritual, but same difference in this sense. In all places and all times among all peoples. We all have what he called numinous dreams, cosmic feeling, dreams with spiritual motifs, spiritual symbols, characters, that kind of thing. And we also have um, encounters in nature that put us in states of awe, or encounters with art, or when you're in the depths of love. Um, when you fall in love with somebody, all those poems about being struck by the arrows of Cupid or Eros as ordered by his mother Aphrodite, suddenly make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> there are people who have what they usually call um, mystical states happen to them spontaneously, visionary states, that they're afraid to talk about for fear that somebody's going to accuse them of being crazy. Religious art goes all the way back to the beginnings of art if you go by petroglyphs in or around caves. So... There's something in us that expresses itself in terms that we would now call spiritual. So in response to that, some people would say, well, um, that doesn't prove that we need religion. I walk my path alone. It's a spiritual path. I'm a spiritual, consciously spiritual person. Jung would say we're all spiritual people, whether we're conscious of it or not. And um, who needs religion for that? Which, again, may be true for individuals. But one of the big downsides to having an individual spiritual path, and I speak not just from experience, but also from my readings and research and conversations with colleagues, is that it's kind of lonely. Um, there's not really a community. And that's one way in which religion really does serve people, whether we agree with its propaganda or not. Uh, it provides a community of service. Um, in the church I grew up in, they always said fellowship. Um, pick whatever word you want. Reverend Victoria Lors, who is a colleague and friend of mine, uh, in her book on Church of the Wild, she mentions that in some translations, the kingdom of God should be translated commonwealth of God, that it's closer to the, the meaning in, in terms of how it was used early on. So one advantage to religion is the sense of community. Another one is tradition. Christianity is a relatively historically recent religion when you think about the vast span human beings have been on this planet, which itself, of course, is an eye blink in terms of the age of the world, let alone the universe. But in any case, um, there's a root of tradition in Christianity. It's been around long enough now that uh, that root has become substantial. And that's happening, too, with younger religions like Islam, for instance. Um, and they all have ancient roots as well. So there's the, um, the psychological weight, if we can put it that way, of tradition as well as community. 
And there's there's other advantages too. But of course, for some of us, the disadvantages outweigh the advantages. And, you know, religions can wear out. Um, I don't know if that's true for Christianity or not, but if you think of old religions like Mithraism, there may be still people in the world who worship Mithras, but uh, it's no longer considered a world religion, a viable one. It's kind of like Latin, which is used but considered a dead language because most people don't speak it anymore. And there's always exceptions. But I think it's possible that when a religion gets worn around the edges because collective consciousness has moved beyond its worldview and some of its uh, values. Nobody puts anyone to death on the Sabbath anymore. Um, things like that. Then um, it seems like historically the religion can either go in one of two directions depending on people what do with it. They can revitalize it and redream it and update it and modernize it. And for an example of that, I would look into Church of the Wild and what Victoria Lors is up to with the Wild Church Network. It's really exciting, actually. So that's a possibility. Um, but another one, especially for those of us who don't feel called to stay in a particular religion, is that it just becomes less and less appealing to people and then it turns into a kind of uh, fiction. And I'm thinking here of ancient Greek religion, you know, we point to the Greek gods and goddesses in our school lessons, and uh, they show up in movies and things like that. But uh, they they don't exist anymore, except for a few people in Greece as viable religious figures. As a matter of fact, uh, our first glimpse at them in the West was fictional compilations. They had already been turned into literature thousands of years ago. So what if fiction itself can be used as a form of religion, wisdom, path, spirituality? That's actually the topic of the dissertation I'm working on. So let's explore that a little bit. Now there's examples today where religions are based squarely on fiction in a very literalistic way. So I'm thinking of uh, Jediism. <laughs> it's, it's actually listed in some official records as a religion. So you can become a Jedi even if you don't have the full uh, lightsaber robe and access to the Force Ensemble. But um, people who practice this think that the Force actually does have some reality behind it. I happen to agree with that, actually. Um, it's... Uh, something that George Lucas was aware of. He wasn't an expert on world religions, but he was friends with Joseph Campbell. And he learned that in many different parts of the world, the divine takes the form of a kind of all-pervasive energy. So that's where that idea comes from. Um, other fictional religions, other kin. Um, there's also a group of people who, thanks to the occultist Gareth Knight, have been convinced that Tolkien was kind of an esoteric master on the sly. Um, I've read Tolkien's letters and I know a lot about him. I'm not a Tolkien expert, but uh, I don't see any evidence that he was anything but a devout Catholic who loved to write uh, fantasy books, which again have spiritual depth to them. The fact that it, it was more or less inadvertent doesn't change the fact that it's there. You can see that in Tolkien's letters too. He was very surprised by the reaction of some of his audience who got really serious about what he was offering. 
he was initially surprised and then he kind of got it. So in exploring how fiction can be a wisdom path, a spiritual path or a religion, I, I don't really mean those things. They're examples of it, but my interest falls on the less literal side of the spectrum. And what I mean is not making the argument that somebody's fiction is actually a form of reality because it keeps that fiction reality polarization in place, which I don't think is helpful. Um, you know, from that standpoint, it could even be argued that all the world's religions are based in fiction. It's just that fiction that's believed as fact, that's literalized, right? <clears throat> but the direction I want to go in is more along the lines of, is it possible to have a spiritual path that is lined with fictional stories that we know are fictional, but that inspire us because they have some sort of existential truth in them? Truth with a larger T rather than a small one. I think probably all of us have either read a book or watched a film where we come out of it feeling inspired. There's something true in it that resonates with us. And the fact that it was created for entertainment is almost beside the point. All of these entertainments, all of these fictions, of course, draw on imagination. And one of the things I'm exploring in my dissertation, which, by the way, whenever it gets done down the road, I'll, I'll post at my website, chalkwist.com, so you can just read it, is to outline imagination used as a form of gnosis, which is an, an old word that you could think of as immediate intuitive apprehension of reality or of the divine or a deep knowing of something that pops up in your experience, seeing through appearances, getting to the essence, that kind of thing. It's a form of knowledge that's deep and intuitive. And imagination has been used this way in all cultures. I trace the Western, in quotes, um, evolution of this imagination is knowing tradition it's kind of an underground tradition in some ways um, primarily because I, I lack the time and space to do the whole world <laughs> you have to delimit yourself when you work on dissertations um, otherwise you never graduate so um i the word i use is imagine knowing imagine knowing basically gnosis another way of putting it is uh, imaginative consciousness so it's different from just making stuff up or playing with fantasies. It it goes deeper than that. For more about that, you might want to listen to my podcast episode 106, the title of which is Just Imagine. But uh, there's a particular tradition of imagination I deal with, Hermeticism, which is an esoteric path that begins in ancient Egypt, and it turns into alchemy, it turns into Gnosticism, uh, Islamic forms of Gnosticism. It shows up in the European Romantic poets and philosophers. Depth psychology as Jung practices it in other forms too. So in this tradition, imagination carefully applied, because imagination is, can be tricky and dangerous too, carefully applied is a source of deep knowing. So one way to use this tradition not only for wisdom, but for understanding the fictions that enliven us, is a word I use for my work overall called world read. And it has to do with reading the world as a set of symbols, which is something that happens in uh, many people's traditions. So my podcast episode 
28 world read will tell you more about that. But what I want to uh, end with here is a reference to a novel I just published online in digital form called Soul Map. Uh, I talked about it in my last podcast, actually. And um, so there's a religion in there called Lamplight, and it's created by three of my, actually four of my fictional characters, three women and a man, dream this up. And uh, it's a path of imagination that has uh, no authoritative sacred books, no power structure that works as a hierarchy to oppress people and decide who's right and who's wrong. Uh, None of that. And I describe it as a post-belief religion because it doesn't care whether you believe or not, the people who practice this. They're all about um, exercises that help them feel closer to each other and to the natural world, reverent practices um, as they think of them. It's largely a religion of story, play, creativity, communion. And although it leans on the ancient tradition of imagining, it doesn't try to settle on anything certain. It's a religion of flexibility, ego resilience, joy, finding joy where we can, either alone or with each other. People who practice it refer to God under different terms. Some of them just say God. Some of them say big mind, which is a hermetic term. Some people say source with a capital S. And the source expresses itself in many powers, many archetypal powers roaming through the universe. And they all hold this as a delightful fiction. Nobody cares if it's literally true or not. The fact that they resonate with it says that it's true on some level. Lamplighters also realize that you don't need a religion to tell you how to behave. They do have an ethical code that they refer to as fivefold caring. Caring for self, others, earth, vision, and story. But they, they are ethical people because they have a conscience, not because dad god up above in the heavens will punish them if they do wrong. Lamplight is also a diverse and inclusive religion as well. In fact, a core value of Lamplight is that diversity is a quality of the cosmos. It's ontological, as philosophers would say. It's built into the structure of reality. And uh, it's called Lamplight, by the way, because the, um, one of the, f- the first founder of it, whose name is Maryam, Maryam Najjar, she's a Palestinian immigrant. She had a dream about the world tree supporting ten lamps that were glowing. So that's where the name comes from. So can a fictional religion do for one that might be worn out for some people? Only time will tell. But if you want to dream along with me and the other people who are creatively elaborating this, uh, go to chalkless.com slash fiction or buy my novel Soul Map either way. And see what you think and feel. Thank you.